Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the 2019 Tokyo Motor Show, the show of the future. But it's just an empty exhibition hall with no people in it. Sadly, that is the future of motor shows. Hello, welcome to Gareth Jones on Speed. He's called Richard. Hello. She's called Sarah. Hello. He's called Zog. Hello. And I'm pretty sure that this part of this programme is going to make the one called Richard more engaged than he ever could be on any other episode of Gareth Jones on Speed because we're going to talk about the new Land Rover Defender. And as a card-carrying, money-paying, proper Land Rover Defender owner, Richard, I have to ask you first, what do you think of the new one? I really like it. A worthy successor <laughs> to the long tradition well, of fine... No, I mean, that's... Hang on, I'm just going to put my cup of tea down. It's appropriate I'm drinking a cup of tea as well. Is that a very Land Rover thing to do, drink Probably. tea? Probably. Well, it's good and British it's and part of the sort of solid and reassuring, yeah. isn't it? So, uh, I think you find teas Chinese or Indian, actually. Yeah, well, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> that's a cup of builder's tea Aye. with milk. That's a... British thing. It is happen. Very British. Chinese tea. Yeah, you don't I'm, Chinese tea. I'm, I'm, I'm going to take issue with the tea. with is the it, um, expression "builders' tea." Green tea. I've never particularly liked. Well, I was using. I, I use it as short. It's quite outdated because I had a, mm-hmm. not a builder. Granted, I had an electrician around a while ago, and I said, "Do you want a cup of tea or coffee?" And he went, "Have you got any herbal teas?" Wow. I think so, yeah. Let me have a look. And then later on, he was telling me about his veganism. I was going to say, was he a vegan builder? You beat me to it. You know, this is 2019. Fair play to the guy. But it's like, you know, builder's tea to me. But you're right. But I I was using builder's tea as slightly uh, basic shorthand for a basic cup of what we think of traditional British tea. Just tea tea. bags. Lovely tea. Milk. Nothing fancy. Traditional, like a Land Rover Defender. That's the original Defender. Nothing fancy, but also massively outdated. Maybe the new one is, in fact, the herbal teas of um, SUVs. I don't know. I get driven beyond crazy by people going, oh, that new Defender. Well, it won't appeal to Welsh hill farmers. And you just go, oh, f***. Welsh Hill Farmers <laughs> bought by Mitsubishi L200. Yeah, that's that. true. I was in the yeah. Lake District yeah. also, quite recently and I was looking around. No, you can't. Exactly. Because the problem is the cheapest Land Rover at the moment is 30 grand for a Discovery Sport or just the Evoque. The entry level Evoque's about the same. And for that, you get front wheel drive. You know, it's a very mm. entry level model that's designed to, in fact, push you further up the range to 35, 40 grand. Because nobody's paying that money for them. They're all doing it on monthly payments anyway. Mm. All they care about is can I afford it on top of my mortgage? That's the way that modern cars are sold. So the point is that for a headline at least, Land Rover has to sort of have a hierarchy of prices whether that's monthlies or list prices and they can't suddenly start selling a much larger but more basic car for 20 grand plus vat that doesn't quite make sense Mm. they need to introduce it into their hierarchy so it makes perfect sense not only for that reason but for the chances of them turning a profit this new thing's this ruddy great machine that's built on the basic hull that's also used for the Range Rover. Mm-hmm. Imagine how expensive that is. It's aluminium. It's hugely mm-hmm. expensive. And they're building it in a brand new factory in Slovakia. It's like they've got a lot of R&D costs and stuff to amortise. So it needs to be expensive. Mm. Plus, Welsh hill farmers and people in the Lake District, where I've just been, and by the way, I saw very few defenders, and I've got a keen... <laughs> Eye for defenders. Yeah. <laughs> so let me tell you, <laughs> if there were defenders there, I would it, have seen them. There I, were a few. I believe a few does not pay for Land yeah. Rover's yeah. newly expanded development centres. I've just yeah. been to them, which has driven the company into the red as it is. One of the reasons why they're struggling to make a profit is because they invested very heavily in this new development centre or an expansion of their product development facility. Brand new building, very impressive. Apart from the else, the eco credentials of it. It's beautifully designed so that it uses natural light as much as possible and all these other things. But that don't come cheap they need to get their money back so they need to charge people forty thousand pounds and more for the new defender because the people who go oh i can afford that are the people who will actually buy it and that is not some bloke called Bryn who lives halfway up a hillside near dogetli that's uh, correct <laughs> he's currently currently driving a, a 20 year old daihatsu uh, exactly. yeah yeah he really of course is. he has a nice suzu d-max or yeah, those yeah. other japanese or korean vehicles that have come in a long time ago and replaced so, the old land rover defender the there's new... not a market there for them to go back and take no. and they don't want to will so, so, 
I understand it, Richard, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the new defender has to do a number of tasks. It will sell in its most basic form to a similar Venn diagram, people who used to buy the old Land Rover, but it's also Mm. got to be a number of other things, like a lifestyle vehicle or a more sophisticated road-use vehicle than the original Land Rover was. They've got to make it work, haven't they? Because the numbers... Don't add up if you're just going to sell a basic yeah. utilitarian vehicle. The old Defender, in its dying days, was selling, uh, I think, private buyers about 5,000 units. That's nothing. You yeah. cannot sustain any no. mass-produced car business on that. Which and was then no, they were which topped was, up which by maybe no, another 10,000 yeah. corporate clients. Well, that might be electricity companies. Yeah. A lot of that was the military. Well, the British Army don't buy Defenders anymore because they're just not bulletproof enough. So that's yeah. all gone. And When you say bulletproof, case, you don't actually mean bulletproof. You mean not going to break down. No, no, I mean bulletproof. No, the whole Snatch Land Rover thing, the controversy about how troops are getting is. injured well, yeah, in adequately armoured yeah. Land Rovers, they have to be bulletproof. Yeah. So, and, right? uh, yeah. and that's the... Uh, Association with the royal families that they're all bulletproof. So yeah, well, yeah, well, no, yeah the, their Range Rovers are all bulletproofed. And but then, oh, well, they, they, well, anyway, the, the, the association—you could probably do a whole show on the association between the royal the family Pope. and Land Rover. Yeah, and, yeah. But just one little snippet: the current Queen Elizabeth II God, God bless drove Land Rovers during the Second World War and, and actually serviced them. Uh, she uh, <laughs> hang on, hang on. She was Not a mechanic. They didn't exist Sorry, during the Second World War. She was a mechanic. Predecessor to... Am I wrong in saying the Land Rover Series 1 1948 was the first Land Rover? Correct, Sarah. 1948, yes, yes. It didn't exist during the Second World War. But she was a mechanic on vehicles during the Second World War. Yeah. This reminds us, though, how old a design the Land Rover is. And with it being that old, as you were saying, you can get by with selling very few of them when you've got an all new design to pay off the expenses off you've got to sell a whole lot more and I've only seen it and my first impression was that they really did an A1 job on the styling of it Mm. and visually they just did a terrific job of making that new Land Rover look exactly like it should yeah a hard line to walk yeah yeah not being too retro well, didn't, yeah, Richard, didn't they to take us on a journey to prepare us for this car? I read something recently, was it Jerry McGovern mm. was talking about the DC100, which was the concept that they doled out maybe eight years ago now. Yeah, there's a while back. Which paved the way for a reinvention of the Land Rover. The, they offered something that swung violently the other way to prepare us for this half-house vehicle. Mm. That's what he was saying. Yeah, he's full of The thing is, the DC100 was meant to be a smaller Land Rover, and yes, it was a softening up exercise to go, hey, look, what if a sort of Defender-inspired machine was a bit more lifestyle-y and Mm. jollied up? The way that modern minis are, for example, you know, so it's like we can configure it all sorts of ways, but fundamentally it's aimed really at urbanites because they've got money. But then I think a lot of the feedback was maybe it looked a little bit too soft. So although you can see elements of that DC100 in the new Defender, it's not a carbon copy of it. And obviously, mm-hmm. it's also a lot bigger. They're keeping the naming conventions. You know, the old Defender was the 90 was the short wheelbase and the 110 was the long one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They've kept that naming convention, even though the wheelbases aren't those dimensions in inches anymore. It's just a thing. But that's fine. And the 110, the new ones, is longer than a Range Rover. Is it? Wow. But okay. its wheelbase is way longer than a Range Rover. They've pushed the back wheels right out to the back of the car that's why the spare wheel has to sit on the back door Uh because there's no room in a Range Rover the spare wheel lives in the gap between the back wheels and the actual back of the car that don't exist anymore not in any sort of wheel dimension it's tiny because although this is undoubtedly a car you know sort of incredible bores on Twitter going it looks like a school run car and you go yes again listen people who do school runs often have money (laughs) so it is a school run car it's a school run car but despite that they have been obsessed at Land Rover with making it this unbelievably capable off-road machine. I mean, it's probably wildly over-engineered for what it's going to be used for, Mm -hmm. but it gives people that warm feeling in the same way, you know... Watch is capable of diving to like 200, 300 meters. It's like, I never do it's that. Like the new iPhones are my all eyes, my ears go pop at like four meters down. So, but it gives you a warm glow. Yes, it does. Something knowing that your watch can yeah. do that. It means I can bath my kids without taking it off because they won't ever plunge my hand down to 400 meters go. away. Can I ask someone from the developing world? <laughs> have you ever driven 
a Land Rover in Australia. Do you know people who've got Land Rovers in oh, yeah, Australia? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, my brother got a Rangy. Yeah, my brother and my sister-in-law have got a Rangy. They've got Rangy. Yeah, there's plenty of Land Rovers in Australia. Yeah, of right. course. But I not mean, the Defender, not the not you know the the, or, the original utilitarian one. I no think more. It, its reputation in Australia, as in a lot of places, took mm. such a dive. Mm-hmm. 30, 40 years ago. When the Subaru Brat came. There's an expression yeah, yeah. in Australia yeah, which is yeah. if you want to go into the outback, take a Land Rover. If you want to come back again, take a Toyota. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the, the reputation for reliability damning, is the, really the, damning. The, the, so, that actually became a thing. Yeah, they're not yeah I wouldn't say it's a popular yeah. car. It's not yeah. popular. It's not one that everyone turns it, to. That's right. sure. It was in the 1960s, Perhaps. you know, the skippy period of Australia. <laughs> it was still very sort of Land Rover, but it's moved on a long way since then. You've got utes over there you've got was it the Subaru Brat I mean Subaru made their name in Australia didn't they moving in on territory that was traditionally Land Rover territory not really because the Brat was quite lightweight and mm-hmm. not that tough. but farmers could throw two sheep in the back and do what they needed to yeah, do with Subaru's it or... I think it's what Toyota, Toyota that really stole Land Rover's lunch because mm-hmm. the Hilux and they still sell the Land Cruiser the original or the sort of you know yeah, yeah. we would now look as a retro shape what's it called FJ40 yeah. so Australia's one of only two or three countries in the world where they still sell it because it's such a legend over there, mm. and it's not cheap, but it does the job so well. You buy one, and it'll do you right for sort of thirty years. Looks great too. And it does look the, great. Yeah. There must have been some sort of local versions of American pickups built by uh, in yeah, Australia. Yeah. Um, like a... Well, you guys had versions of the. Was it the Monaro? You had pickup utes of the Monaro Maloo. over there, didn't you? The Maloo. Maloo. Thank Maloo you, Richard. The, That's it. Yeah. Commodore-based. Yeah. And Ford pickups yeah. as well. Yeah. You would have had. Yeah. But the trouble with Land Rover's mission to replace the Defender, you know, the original Land Rover, as we used to call it, is it's almost an impossible task because he occupies such an important place in people's hearts mm. more than their needs. Yeah, well, it's yes, it, 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 a very yeah, good way uh, of describing it. Yeah. Yeah, mm. it's, it's That's got, the thing. It's what drove me nuts about people, largely on social media, crapping on about Welsh hill farmers and all this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. And I was going, oh, you won't be able to fix it yourself. No, it's not true to the original. Do you own an original? Will you buy one of these new ones? No, then mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but well, it's like it's all well and good having opinions about these things. But the truth is, Land Rover, like any business, needs to sell cars and mm-hmm. make money. Mm-hmm. And the opinions of someone who would never give them any of their money are frankly irrelevant to what Land Rover does with the new Defender. What mm. they've done is they've rightly looked at it as an asset in their history that they could repackage for the modern world mm-hmm. and use some of that sort of reflected glory. As the Mini was. The Mini was basically a reinvention of a brand so they could sell it in America. They scaled it up to work for the mm. United States. Yeah, although... Built uh, a company on it. Although what you have, I think, with the history and the heritage and the baggage that comes with the Mini brand, when you're developing a new car in the modern age... It isn't quite as maybe out of line with what you might want as it is with Land Rover. What I mean is that with the Mini, basically the essence of it is a small, neat city car. Yeah, That's but really it was what also it is. what was and very clever about the BMW Mini was that they went, right, let's look at all the different aspects of the Mini that were appealing over the years. It was unbelievably space efficient, so you get like a family in a tiny car and it was very good in the city, but it was also sporty because uh, it won rallies. Car. And they yeah. went, let's take the sporty bit. Yep. That's the bit we'll major on, yep. and that's why the current minis tend to be yeah, yeah. quite sure. sporty. Sure. Yep. But, but They're not very big inside, particularly, because that sort of doesn't matter yeah, much, but, they decided. But also, you're still nonetheless talking about, you know, it's got cute looks mm, yeah. like the old car had, yeah. and sure, and it's bigger than the old one, but it's doing the same thing. Mm. With the Land Rover, there is this issue about, as you've been talking about, that most of the people who you're trying to sell the thing to... Mm. Even if they think they might value off-road ability and ruggedness and ability to ford a six-foot river, Mm. actually only the tiniest percentage of those people are going to use any of those things or come Mm. close to using any of those things. But they like to know they're there. They don't need them. If they needed them, there's a good chance they might actually be buying something else in any case. Richard, you've been up to Land Rover's HQ and you've seen the new car in the flesh. Yeah. I went to the opening of their new, or the expansion of their product development centre and the brand new Jaguar design studio, Jag Designs, moving to Gaydon, where Land Rover 
yep. style their cars and have done for years. And yeah, they had a couple of new defences there for us to poke around. And some of the team who developed it there, including one of their senior designers, Andy Wheel, who's an excellent bloke. Andy, Andy, Andy Wheel. Wheel. Yeah, I know. Don't start. He's heard it all. He's heard it all. But is it spelled properly? Is yeah. it actually? Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, yeah. Really? Yeah. Brilliant. He's heard oh. it all, though. In fact, because funnily enough, one of the first questions I asked him was about wheels. And uh, <laughs> he's, he's brilliant. He's, Does uh, he know Simon Carr at Lotus? I, I yeah. don't know whether he does I'm sure they nominative yarn. determinism yes. comes to yeah. tell so one of the I've learned a load of bits of trivia about the new Defender and about various other things one of them is the new Defender you can have it on steel wheels they're on the yeah. I know they're model. the best yeah. but best of all yeah everybody loves the yeah. steel wheels on it you can spec them on more up-spec cars in the range, mm. you can effectively downgrade from alloys to the steelies, which I imagine lots of people are going to do. Sure can I say that I think we Garrett. predicted this? We talked about this a couple of years on the programme, that if you're a real car pervert, steel wheels are the new chic. And it seems to be working for Land Rover, doesn't well, it? Well, apparently, Land Rover, yeah. they are a bit of a bugger to do because, first of all, they haven't done a steel wheel for ages, so they yeah. had to go back through all their, old, old, yeah, their old specs and their right. old durability standards for steel wheels because nobody knew how to do it anymore. They all do alloys. The second thing is mm. the steel wheel is stamped, yeah. so you can't be too fancy with the design or it's not strong enough. An alloy wheel, Andy um, Wheel, described it as an alloy wheel is like a piece of architecture almost. It's like it can make a building look incredibly fancy in all kind of elaborate ways as long as the structural engineering behind it is fine. Mm. And, with an alloy wheel because they're cast they're, yeah. you can play tunes on your CAD cam terminal and go mm. okay because the chief engineer was there and he was rather rueful about the fact that designers had spec loads of five spoke alloys for the new Defender because he went from a strength point of view which we need a lot of because of our punishing regimes of everything mm. has to be durable off road it would be nice if we had six or more spokes they'd yeah. be stronger five is hard but steel is even harder can't just put too many holes in so essentially and this is good. It's a good example. I'm surprised they're not milk this more. Form following function. Those wheels look the way they do because really they couldn't look much different. It was better to have the shape of holes they have in them, the mm-hmm. strength, the number of holes they have, and then they can only be stamped that way. And that's a good strong steel wheel. Nice. So yeah, and they look fantastic. Yeah. He told me some other stuff as well that's fantastically nerdy. But Go you know, on, it's got these back lights. You've seen the back lights. It's got sort of two big kind of rounded off squares as backlights and yes. then these two little ones which is slightly odd at first you go, why are they there and that's entirely driven by regulations because they have to put the spare wheel on the back door because there's no room for it underneath as it would be on you know discoveries and range rovers has to go on the back door mm-hmm. but there are rules about sight lines you have to be able to be at sort of the three quarter of a car oh. and see both backlights and when they right. did their original backlights, because they're slightly inboard, the spare wheel blocked the far side uh-huh. backlight, so they've stuck an extra couple of like outmarker lights uh-huh, on, yeah. and that's how it meets the law. But yeah. that's purely functional again, really. It's In fact, it's just them having to correct something. What's the right. story with <laughs> engines, yeah. Richard? It's their engineum yeah. range. Yeah. So four cylinders mostly. There's a six-cylinder, that straight-six petrol that's just gone into the Range Rover Sport yeah. with an electric supercharger on it and a turbo. So it's sort of hybridy type system. When you say electric supercharger mm. and turbo, yeah, you mean it's got an old style turbocharger or is it yes, know, an, an exhaust so. driven yeah, turbocharger, but, but then it has an electric supercharger, supercharger that does as an infill well. thing, and it has hybrid capacity, like it has a battery. Yeah, yeah. it's quite techy. Apparently, it's really good, and apparently, in the Range Rover Sport, I mean, it makes a lovely noise, like a proper straight six, like an old BMW. Or yeah, that's but you can't repair it yourself, can you, Richard? Go and live on your Welsh hill farm. <laughs> you go. And then, so they're going to have that. So that'll be the sort of top petrol model. I think there's going to be a straight six or V sixties. Look, I remember now going in there eventually, and there's going to be a hybrid, plug-in hybrid coming eventually as well. All automatics, no manual at all, because, again, the market they're going for doesn't want a manual. Yeah. Weird thing that, that Andy Wheel told me, though, he designed the Discovery 3, you know, the one very square, the yeah, 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 classic, yeah. and became the Discovery 4. Yeah. When he designed that, that wasn't necessarily going to be a Discovery. He was told to try and come up with, like, a Land Rover for today that could replace... Mm-hmm. Huh. The Defender. It's got a bit of safari about it with that yeah. glass and, and the that car. It was yeah, almost yeah. the brief with that car, yeah. and then it sort of merged into being just a discovery. Yeah. But that's mm. why when that car came out, you could have it with a manual gearbox and coil springs, no air suspension yep. or anything like that. Mm. And they were sort of thinking it would start to replace a Defender at the functional end of things. It was going to be called the Highlander, if I remember originally, mm, before they came up with the no. Discovery name. Oh, way, way back. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm talking yeah. about Discovery 3. No, the way, yeah. way back, the original Discovery might Discovery be 1 was the Highlander, but yes. Toyota yes. owned that name. So, yeah. Also, but there was a shorter wheelbase for that Disco 3, mm. which was going to be the Discovery Sport. 
which would have been like the Land Rover 90. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to use that chassis to make the Range Rover Sport instead because they could make more money on it. And that was at one point the most profitable car in the whole of the Ford Group, weirdly. Wow, of all quite, the Ford Group? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even over all their uh, yeah, American pickups and everything as well. the single biggest profit centre of any car. Another bit of Ford trivia for you. Sorry, I will stop this in a minute, but I've learned a lot of things and I wrote them down for once. So, um, <laughs> um, so you want to make good use yeah, of exactly. Look at me being a journalist. Uh, no, because I was asking them then, how many times have you tried to come up with a new Defender before it's actually stuck with this yeah. one? And, and everyone I asked about that kind of went, God, I struggle to remember now. There's so many of them. Oh, really? Was, yeah, there was definitely one that was based on the Discovery 3 chassis. And again, they couldn't make the sums. It was always the sums. That's what everyone said. Yeah. They said we could never make the business case. It was always a problem with trying to get the business case work. So there's one on the Discovery 3 chassis that went through the design stage. There was one, when they were owned by Ford, there was an exploration of making it based on the Ford Ranger chassis, and that would have mm-hmm. been cheaper to do. Still couldn't make the sums add up. There was one way back in the 80s. It was a transit one, wasn't there? At one point, they were going to merge the Land Rover and the transit, I seem to remember Ford talking about. Was that the one that you're talking about, the Ranger transit merging with no, the, the, with the Land Rover? But I think Ranger's a separate chassis. Transit's not a separate chassis. Oh, well, I seem to remember definitely a transit crossover with a Land Rover at some point. That must have not been that one, but yet another one. A Land Rover yeah. van, maybe? I don't know. Mm, van Rover. And also, final... <laughs> Very good. <laughs> so, final bit of trivia, because this is a really weird one. The rear spoiler now, some of the Range Rover Sports, since they faced them, have got quite a sort of big rear spoiler over the back screen. Yep. That spoiler, obviously cars go into the wind tunnel, they test it, and make sure it's doing what it's supposed to do, maybe cutting some lift or just smoothing the air over the back, breaking yeah, yeah. up glamour flow all that kind of stuff but the rear spoiler on those Range Rover Sports is also and this is quite unusual tested to make sure it stays in place at 90 miles an hour going in reverse wow is that ever going to happen I will, give you, I will buy you can a it? Range Rover Sport if you can guess why uh, winds on. on the Kalahari hang on, hang on, Desert this has got to be this has got to be going to get this I'm going to own a Range Rover Sports <laughs> no I'll just say the first thing that wasn't ridiculous that popped into my head was something to do with dropping it on a parachute out of the back of a, uh, an aircraft uh, uh, oh, for an RA for a yeah for military yeah, applications. Yeah. I've done so that. The military. Right, I've so done that. But the military probably wouldn't use a Land Rover Sport. I've actually done yeah. that. I pushed a Land Rover out the back of a Hercules once. That, that I did so, it. So and then drove fun. it. What was so the name? Much fun. What was the name of that, the the army Land Rover? The Panther or something? What was it called? The Leopard? Scorpion? Wolf. That's what I drove. But hang on, it's nothing to do with parking it in the desert and the wind blowing from a certain no. direction no. Okay, I'm going to have one more go that's the speed it'll get up to if you leave the handbrake off on an icy hillside and it goes all the way nice. back there. I don't know go on Richard what is it some of their cars are delivered or moved around the UK and the continent on trains and oh. they sometimes and they load be... them onto the top deck backwards Ooh. very good somebody like clever in Land Rover realised this and suddenly went oh my god what if the train at full clip how fast the train go yeah, yeah. and they found out and it's 90 and they yeah. went right we better make sure we're not going to be embarrassed by the train load of ruined Range Rover sports and all the spoilers wow. got ripped off. That's, that's my favourite bit of trivia. That's brilliant. That 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 I find that interesting because surely that spoiler is going to create lift in reverse anyway, so it won't be a problem with the spoiler coming off. It'll pick the vehicle up and throw it somewhere. That's a big heavy train. It can but, but of course, Richard, the Land Rover Defender is going to be massively outsold by this Land Rover Pretender, this new Ineos Grenadier. So this is what's his name, Project Jim? Grenadier. Project Pro- with a K. Yeah, yeah. It's now called the Ineos Grenadier. It was Project Grenadier. It's now it's Ineos. Ineos. Yeah, okay, yeah. Right. What's his name, Jim Radcliffe? Yeah. Radcliffe, Britain's richest man. Yeah, the world's biggest mm. pharmaceutical company, apparently uh, Ineos. Chemicals, I think. Chemical, yeah, yeah. sorry. Yeah, pharmacy, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And they're going to build it in what? In a Near Greenfield site. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is great news for Wales, but I don't think it's going to be as good a news for Wales as he's telling them it is. But it's only two to 500 jobs in any case. If yeah, that's so, right. So, you know, yeah. It's great that somebody is mm. planning to build a new vehicle there. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not being it's, right and cynical about that. Let's just not get it out of proportion about exactly. how exciting it is yeah. or how big a deal it is, because, yeah. you yeah. know, it's final assembly as well. It's not. Yeah. The, oh, they're building it in the bodies uh, and the where? chassis are coming from Portugal. Yeah. Mm. And the engines, and the engines from, Germany? from Germany. Germany and Austria. Yeah. They're BMW, BMW engines. Yeah, right. So yeah. the big kit of parts gets bolted together in Bridgend. But yeah, it's better than nothing. And yeah, you know, yeah. in fairness, sure. the new Defender is being made in Slovakia, not in the UK, because yeah. Land Rover don't have enough factory space here. And but how again, many another thing's been driving me nuts about the new Defender. People go, oh, it's not made in Britain. Well, it's like, no cars. You turn over your laptop. It's probably made in China. Your BMW X5 is made in the US. Saudi TTs are made in Hungary. This is the way the world works. This is what, you know, yeah. we seem to be turning our back on with Brexit and stuff is that unfortunately, like it or not, we live in a world where everything is made in random places. No, the parts that make up a complicated thing like a computer or a car are coming from all over the world. 
And the final assembly could happen almost anywhere. That's just a smart way mm-hmm. of doing it for companies that want to stay in business. And yeah, so fair enough. Ineos Grenadier final assembly will happen in South Wales. Final uh, question for you, Richard. Sorry, so are you going to say something? No, I was just going to answer your question. How many are they going to build? 25,000 a year. Will they sell yeah. 25,000 a year? I don't think Well, there's well, all those Welsh I, hill farmers that I will be going. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. But, uh, my thought about this was actually that your first take is kind of naturally when you read that a super wealthy guy is building a slightly retro-ish car mm. and your first reaction is well this sounds like a bit of a vanity project you know this is the kind of thing you know is this a car that the world needs he, this, this is probably a bit of a specific yeah. but having thought about it a bit i think there's a decent chance it will work because for the simple reason that he's trying to make quite a niche vehicle as long as they design a thing that fits that niche properly Mm. and because this is a tiny manufacturer that's making basically one vehicle this isn't a company that's planning to make every kind of vehicle for everybody all over the world they don't have to kind of tick everybody's boxes they can just do this one thing very well i don't know quite how the finances work out but Mm. i can absolutely believe that they can build a vehicle that will fill that niche i don't think they'll get their money back First of all, they're buying in their engines from BMW. That's not cheap. It's much more expensive than making your own. But then developing your own engine is hugely expensive. So they're sort of caught in a bind there. This is probably the easiest thing for them to do. They have to buy a lot of expertise to do this. And they're getting a Mercedes-Benz spin-off, I believe, to do a lot of the chassis design. Yeah, yeah, no, it's all being developed by this company in Germany. There's a spin-off from Merck Engineering. So, yeah, Yeah. that's the thing. But that's not cheap to buy in contract engineering like that. And then this production process sounds complicated in a way. And then shipping shells and chassis across Europe. And then engines are coming in from somewhere else and it's all got to meet up in bridge end and it's like it's all cost money they're not yeah. going to get their money back in a hurry the two things the, the, the thing i mean just in terms of numbers sorry to kind of but i believe that the land rover sales are sort of currently on the order of twenty five thousand a month mm. if they could sell in a year the number of vehicles that land rover currently sells in a month then Home they're hitting drive. their target right yeah. but they've got to set up a the dealer network or find a way of selling it they have yeah. no dealers it's very hard to sell a car with people that know where to get it from you I, know, I looked at their website yeah. they're billing the Grenadier as an SUV and they cross out the S it's a UV utilitarian vehicle it really is going to have to be super basic if this is what the message is and they're also but, saying but, this is but, a car well, built on purpose what really all of the cars what, are accidents well, again sorry really? going on about but this but could, when people sort of go oh why isn't the new Land Rover Defender True to the purpose in the image of the old one. Because you can't build a car that basic. It has, by law, got to have airbags, tyre pressure monitoring, all of this stuff that... um, Deformable bumpers, which knacky your your approach angle. All that sort of stuff, yeah, yeah. It's got to necessarily have a certain level of technology, and so you might Mm. as well just go all in and go, oh, screw it, yeah, it'll also have Bluetooth and it'll have this and that. My final question, Richard, to you. You going to buy one? No, I don't mean the Grenadier. I oh, mean right, the new no. Defender. You going to buy one? I would love to. It's a bit of a weird one that because since we went to having an electric car, it would feel a weird step backwards to going internal combustion for our family car. But I would be interested in the hybrid one because it's plug-in, so we could do our London mileage in it. But that's going to be really expensive. Yeah. So no, I did when I saw that they had this 110 on display and it was a nice spec and it looked cool. And I took a picture and immediately texted it to my wife and just went, "New family car." And she was like, yep, I'll have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay, well, at least Married okay, right we're, on, we're on the same page here on that one. And how long before your current Defender is worth one and a half what you paid for it so you can afford a new uh, no. Land Rover? Oh, oh really? That, oh, that moment passed a long time ago. So, theoretically, yeah. I don't think yeah. anyone's buying cars at the moment, from what I gather, but I'm not selling. Mm. So. You, you tell Grenadier that, yeah. Mm. Gather out now, children, and let me tell you the most fantastical legend North Wales has ever known. Is it about the lady of the lake who rises from Slinavan Rach? No, it's even more far-fetched than that, David. Is it about the dragons that live in the mountains around Blaenethus, New York? No, Rhiannon, it's even crazier than that. Is it about the caves of pure gold that they say exist in the Dolgethai? No, Yorweth, it's even more ridiculous than that. This is a Welsh myth so fantastical they say only a madman would believe it. It concerns 
a farmer called Aneirin Ishtidris, and they say he drove a Land Rover Defender. No! Sir, that's the most made-up thing I've ever heard! You know that game that you play every now and again? Oh, if you could only have three cars in the world, or five cars in the world, or you could have 20 cars, what would they be? We thought of another variation on that game that we'd like to play for you now, and that is, when it boils down to it, at this moment in time, right now, what are your three favourite racing cars, or race cars, as Americans say, of all time, and why? Zog. Okay, can I just say, going into this, I'm quite glad to be going first on this, because yeah. it means I, it's going to be a I deal with no, it. I well, I, I think it's pretty, <laughs> you know, I was wondering if we were going to just go to dib system here, to figure out who gets a certain vehicle that we, yeah. I could think of two or three vehicles that, you know, we would all everybody agree on. I'm was quietly confident pick, so. that no one's going to pick what I've chosen. Really? Uh, That's well, well, but, yeah, but you have to figure in Gareth's twisted imagination, <laughs> yes. and, you yes. know, Richard and my bloody mindedness sometimes. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're not safe, but... <laughs> no, but still, I'm happy to be going first. Okay, this wasn't actually as easy as I thought it was going to be. I uh, to, and I ended up with a slightly different list to what I thought I'd end up with. And any connection theme here wasn't intentional. This is just the way it worked out, guys. But can I make a in guess? In chronological order. Okay, you can make a guess. Is I, one of them a Porsche or two of them Porsches? I'm not going to give anything. Well, let's, <laughs> let's say one of them is. I bet they're all German. Uh, okay, in chronological order. Starting way back in history, I wanted a car from the early days of racing. Good lads. Um, and I've got a couple of very strong favourites. Is it uh, the W16? It, it was heartbreaking to not pick the Bugatti Type 35. Oh, of course! But I did not pick wow, the Bugatti Type 35. Yeah. But I've gone for a near contemporary, the Auto Union Type C. Good lad. An yeah. incredible, fantastic, fantastic <laughs> car. I mean, this wonderful, futuristic 1930s pug, really. It's got a very mm-hmm. kind of blunt-nosed look to it. Mm-hmm. Not the sleekest, most beautiful car, but very, very purposeful. Mm. Absurdly powerful 16-cylinder engine for the time. Mid-engined, very yeah. advanced technology. The suspension of the car was not up to the power of the engine and the configuration of things. It was a difficult car to drive. Is this and the one that had a two wheels on the single axle there the were, rear? Yeah, in one or two variations, yeah. there was a doubled-up wheels on the rear yes. axis for hill climbs. Yes, that's right. Um, yes. And, and it raced it was, at Donington, didn't it, at some point in the Formula Libra days, or whatever they called it. What was it called, Formula Libra? I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be sure about I'm that. I'm pretty sure but, it did. Um, and the car, I have to say, it's tainted by its association with Nazi Germany. You know, it, it was funded by... Aren't we all? Yeah. <laughs> and, but that's a bit of history that you can't airbrush and you shouldn't mm. <laughs> sweep under the carpet. It's there, but the cars were wonderful. They just looked spectacular, so advanced for the age, so fast. Um, Is this the car that held the speed record as well uh, on the Avis? No, but it, there was a relationship to the record-breaking I'm so glad you chose this Bernard car. Rosemeyer broke the speed record for on a public road. Yeah. That I think still stands. I think you're right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have to be crazy to go that fast on a public road, <laughs> yeah, but it'll yeah, probably yeah. kill you, and it did. Yeah, yeah. So there we are. Auto Union Type C is, is my first mm-hmm. pick. Lovely, lovely bit. If you don't know the car, go and look it up. You'll be surprised at just how kind of futuristic those I cars were. I was explaining were. to Violet earlier on the premise of what we were going to be talking about tonight, and I said, I'm hoping Zog picks a car from the golden age, an Auto Union they, or one of the classic oh, machines. There Mercedes. you go. Well, I'm, I'm, and I'm so it, glad I, you did. I, I didn't let you down. You didn't, though. Now, that car, although it carried the Auto Union name, it was designed by Ferdinand Porsche, mm-hmm. whose name is also on my second car, the Porsche 917. Oh, which was my yeah. other choice! I knew it There was no way. I mean, I almost didn't pick it so that, yeah, you know, I knew someone else was going to pick it, and, and I wanted to... But I didn't. I was greedy. I went for it. 917K? All of them. They're just all, all of them. them. Because it encompassed so much racing history. You know, from its introduction in 1969, when it was, you know, it was a tricky car. Ahead of its Until it was legislated out of sports car racing and went to Can-Am yeah. and became massively more powerful and looked very different in its 917-30 incarnation, mm. 917-10. But as the 917 had dominated in sports car racing, it dominated in Can-Am racing. And There's a terrific article in the new quarterly magazine called The Road Rat, which is absolutely brilliant. And I'm not just saying that because I write for them, but someone else wrote a brilliant story about the 917 for their second issue. 
And one of the points that's raised in this, which can't be understated, is how Porsche essentially sort of bet the farm on that car. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They weren't. If it hadn't worked out and they hadn't been able to start getting their money back, they were only a small company. It's easy to forget how small, therefore, how fragile they were. And they decided to go all out on this very radical racing car that initially didn't work properly. Mm. Oh, it was dangerous, wasn't it? Absolutely. As you say, I mean, they had built up a reputation in sports car racing but for punching above their weight and Mm. for winning races with these lightweight, you know, neat, elegant little sports cars. And, yeah, the 917 targeting as a prototype was a whole new deal for them, and it was massively expensive, Mm. but... Boy, oh boy, did that bet pay off. I think uh, those early ones, they were so lethal that I think it was Richard Atwood or one of those guys who drove them in the early days said, and this is amazing to hear a racing driver say something like this, said they used to just hope they would break down so they didn't have they to didn't keep on driving. Yeah, yeah. And in the early days of racing, some of the factory drivers refused to race the car, mm. which is why a privateer racer was killed on the first lap at Le Mans on one occasion. Yeah. Difficult car to drive but it matured into an extraordinary bit of race machinery an incredibly successful bit of race machinery and even before they got it to that point it looked right i mean you know if you think about what a racing car looks like the 917 absolutely nails it it's low it's sleek that flat 12 just sounds gorgeous we've heard one um, goodwood starting up yeah, i remember yeah. shaking it And there's great history throughout its racing life. So, 917... Don't tell us what your third car is. Can I play a guessing game? Okay. Is it an Aston Martin? It's not. Oh, okay. All right. I thought you might choose an Aston. I did think about one particular Aston Martin, but I thought it didn't have enough racing history to quite work. Okay. But, no, my third choice, and I'm sorry if this seems a bit repetitious, but... Porsche 919. I realised when I sat down to think about this... They take don't, don't tell me that shit. When I saw it's working out of there. I bet two of them are Porsches. It's going to be the 917. I wonder if you'll pick a 919. I wish I'd said that out. Well, and this has become a favourite recently because the company returned to the front line of motorsport with this car mm. in 2004. 14. It didn't win everything immediately. It took about a year to get up to speed. Mm. But then 2015, 16, 17, it just absolutely dominated and won everything against some very strong competition. And also, this was the car that fought two absolutely epic, wonderful yep. battles at Le Mans against Toyota yep. and against Audi. Yep. In 2016, there was the incredible drama of Toyota basically having beaten Porsche on track and then mm. in the last five minutes of the race, mm-hmm. the leading car breaking down and being passed And it being an the... unconventional design for this car as well. They used a V4, which no one would have predicted. Yeah, V4 would petrol be... engine, yeah. V4 turbo petrol. And, uh, so they were prepared to throw their heritage away to build the right vehicle I respect that if you're creating a new sports car programme you've got to be open minded about what kind of thing you're going to design to win Hmm. the history of those incredible Le Mans wins 2017 was hardly any less dramatic Mm -hmm. the 919 that won the race had spent an hour and a half in the pits near the start mm-hmm. of the race and, and came back from about 13 laps down. Those were very dramatic races. But the car delivered in terms of being a brutally effective race machine. That generation of sports racing prototypes, I think, was fabulous. And you had yeah. this, this wonderful mix of technologies. You'd have different types of internal combustion engines matched to different types of hybrid powertrain technology, duking it out on a remarkably level playing field because the ACO did a beautiful job of figuring it was a golden happen. age, wasn't it? It was a golden age, yeah. and Porsche made the most incredible machine that maximised the potential of those rules. Mm. And that then, after they'd retired, did this rather wonderful kind of farewell tour, setting new lap records mm. at Spa and at the Nurburgring. The showing, 919 Evo. Showing what you could do. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Showing what the car could do. You know, if you didn't have quite so many regulations, you could just let it off the leash a little mm. more. And my God, that thing's fast. Not the most beautiful car, but anything looks more beautiful when it goes fast. The mm. more it wins, the more beautiful it looks. And that certainly was the case with this car. But also that kind of blunt-nosed sort of, what do I want to say? It's like Centurion, uh, Cylon Bluff. Centurion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it's a good look. So there we go. The 919, I seem to have 
picked cars that all have a Porsche connection, which I hadn't intended to do going in, but that's how it worked out, and I'm not apologising for it. (laughs) So we're talking about racing cars. Don't apologise. Thank you. you. Porsche (laughs) have such a great heritage in motorsport, and I know your love of the brand. You picked two cars that are badged Porsche, and one that was designed by Ferdinand Porsche. I'm not surprised, and I'm completely happy with that. Good job, mister. (laughs) Don't argue those. Good choices, aren't they? No, no Uh, no, no complaints here. Sarah, I'm wondering (laughs) if you've only chosen cars which have won world championships driven by Australians. (laughs) Oh, if so. That's that's a good guess, but no, you were quite wrong. No? No, no, but you are right in terms of what I've been been completely shown up by Zog because I by no means have I picked cars based on their, uh, you know, technology. But you should pick it based on your personal... (laughs) They're all too easy. Yeah, I've picked on favourite stories, things like that. So this particular driver has raced a Porsche at Le Mans. So he raced a Porsche 935, named the driver. Crema? Oh, no, it was it was one of the Rodriguez. Okay, uh, no, what's it, brothers? What are they called? The two brothers? That they Pedro drove the, um, the, oh, no. oh, oh, the... Johnson. The, the, no. cro- the crooks. I'm telling you, it was... Okay, so the, the car that I have picked... It's pretty... pretty it's driven by a... They did do it. Are these American brothers? The Whittington brothers? Whittington brothers. Yeah, no, no, no. Go on, tell us. They were convicted. But this is part of American racing history. Okay. Go on. Into Paul Newman? Yeah. Yes. Okay, so okay, okay. It was Steve McQueen that was meant to be the king of cool, but actually, Paul Newman had more badassery. Paul Newman was a better so driver. He, yeah, so Paul he was better and driver. as far as we know, he didn't knock women around either. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, well, so he was also very <laughs> talented, not only in the race, yeah. race track but also on a silver mm-hmm. screen. Mm-hmm. And he drove the Datsun 280ZX. Yeah. And he won the SCCAC production championship in 1979. He was also known as the Budweiser winning Australian of the year. Winningest. I love it. I know. I, I saw that in writing today. The car was number 33. So a car that is an old race car with some awesome old history. So it was built to go fast and make loud noises. But it may not sell for the amount of money that a Porsche might sell, but it is an important part. And I like those old stories. Plus, my dad used to drive those Datsuns, so I, actually, I was say, quite it, it, like that whole story. And if anyone's interested <laughs> in Paul Newman's racing life, there's a very good documentary that I saw quite recently, which I think is called Winning. It's a documentary about Paul Newman and racing, which has a lot of clips of him racing that car. A 240Z. Yeah. I mean, it was quite cool. Yeah, I mean, he, 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 was a, he was an actor, and then all of a sudden he just became obsessed with racing. Yeah, he yeah. became... He, and, and salad dressing. Yeah. And there's a racing connection, away, there's a racing connection to the salad dressing. Watch the film, find out about it. He <laughs> skidded go. on some <laughs> salad dressing, <laughs> and it was the most delicious accident he's ever had. <laughs> So, okay. Datsun, was it 280? That's your first choice. Excellent choice. Very cool car. <clears throat> Genuinely. Well, yeah, yeah. Genuinely cool, <laughs> cool car. Cool car, cool driver. If yeah. That's what I've gone for. If, it, if it's driven by Paul Newman, definitely. Yeah. No there you go. I hope I've passed. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Okay, so another one which was mentioned in the earlier segment, and I thought someone might say it, but this is a car for all time. The BMC operated competition. So, you know BMC, the minis. They, yeah, yeah, they, yeah. So, yeah, the beginning yeah. of the 60s, they came up with a competition department based in Oxfordshire which was designed to purposely build cars that would compete in rallies and motorsport. So they did this and they had huge success. BMC Mini Cooper did extraordinarily well throughout the 1960s and they won a series of Monte Carlo Rally in yeah. 1964, 65, 67. Yeah, great, great um, giant killing yeah, car. Yeah, they the, won the, you know, the uh, Paddy Hopker. European Rally Championships, the Finnish Rally. They won Australian Touring Car Championships yeah. in Bathurst. I think they've got some British Rally Championships and it goes on and on and on. But fundamentally throughout the 1960s. Yeah. And again, my dad used to race Mini Coopers. So, Ri- you know, oh, that's a good race. Yeah. 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 Well, that's <laughs> Sarah, Richard will know this. The, the, the Mini Cooper, it's, a, also, it's a very cool little But, but you yeah. actually cool said car. earlier, it's a cool little race car. Yeah, it looks yeah. great. And they've actually picked up those great qualities from the 1960s car and put it into the modern-day Mini Cooper to make it look really cool, really racy. Yeah, and, we said um, this, haven't we? 
Yeah, so yeah. that's my number Fair. two. Good choice. <laughs> Richard, BMC used to race the 1800 as well. Didn't the 1800 go on to the Adelaide? What was it, that big drive to Adelaide? Didn't uh, they put one on There were a few of those sort of endurance yeah. rallies. Yeah. Mm. Um, uh, yeah. Uh, yes, there was one to Adelaide, wasn't there? Was it the London to... Is that what it was called? The London to Adelaide? London to Sydney, I think. London to Sydney, London yeah. To Sydney. yeah. There was one that went to... I think they went to South America Mexico. As well. That was and the Ford Escort Mexico got its name from there. Yes. Yes. And there's some story... Mm. It involves Jimmy Greaves taking part. You know, the football... Oh, I knew him. There's a mad story about, I think, one of his old footballing mates had been kidnapped and he went and sort of rescued it. I'm going to get all the details wrong, but if anyone's near Google, have a look for Jimmy Greaves' rally, like 1970 or something. I like the period of cars that you've chosen from. The 70s, the 60s, what's your third car going to be? It's also in the vintage era, I suppose, with today being 2019. So the final car also having quite a significant story behind it. So yeah. I have gone for the McLaren 1991 championship winning car with Edge and Senna and um, MP4 also, also driven H? by Gerard Berger. So, yes, MP46. So no, I'm a bit of a Bruce McLaren fan. Yes. Oh, I like are. the Bruce McLaren story. Yeah, yeah. So for me, and I just thought Ayrton Senna, you know, he's a yeah. significant driver in our time and deserved a mention. But yeah. I also wanted to include Bruce McLaren in my little list. And so there you go. Good I've choice. just joined the dots there. Well, that car, was it the MP46 118 of the... No, six, no eight, the, the, the eight. The MP44 was the car that won okay. 15 out of 16 races okay. in... 1989? Yeah, possibly. Um, As I recall, the MP46 is similar lines. It's a very clean era of F1 design. I think the McLaren Glory days. Yeah, yeah, I thought I wanted to pick a car from there. I mean, I don't have all the technical specs that you have, Zog. But they dominate. I know a good story. We are nothing but a collection of stories. Cars are stories. The story of their engineering, the story of their success, the stories of their failure. It's a very, very... Justifiable way of choosing your cars. Great choices, yeah, yeah. fascinating choices. You couldn't argue. You can't, can't argue <laughs> yeah. any of those, could you? No, they're all good. Proper go. race cars, well, a bit of history. Thumbs, thumbs yeah. up. So they're very good. No. Richard, right. you're wrong, baby. Oh, sorry, I've been looking up the Jimmy Greaves story. Go on. He wasn't picked for the 1970 World Cup in Mexico, so he was so annoyed about not being able to go to Mexico, he decided to sign up with Ford to drive an escort in this rally that was going to celebrate the time of the World Cup because that'll finish in Mexico. Yeah. He Fetched up in Mexico, his old mate, the England captain, Bobby Moore, had been falsely accused of stealing a bracelet in Bogota when England were playing a warm-up game there. Embroiled in a major diplomatic incident, went all the way up to the Prime Minister. He was released from the Bogota jail and holed up in an embassy house in Mexico City to avoid detention. And Jimmy Greaves decided he must be lonely in there, so he shimmy, <laughs> he vaulted a wall over the really? back and broke into the house wow. to go and say hello to Bobby Moore, wow. having completed okay. this insane rally where it says at one point they drove for 55 hours straight without sleep so that will make have you seen bats in the road ahead of you that's yeah. like girls oh doing God. the lands into John Groves yeah, and back yeah wow so wow. I knew there was story. something about Jimmy Greaves jumping a wall yeah marvellous come on then Richard your three favourite race, race cars, cars of all time well, it's, what I mean, are they going to be is one of them going to be an Aston Martin it's so hard isn't it I just, yeah. throw, I just threw the little sticks in the air and then just grabbed kind of gone with the gut here a little bit so the first one I've chosen is the Lotus 91 oh very good 91 which is the one that debuted in the 1982 season yeah so it's your classic JPS colours yeah Nigel Mansell mm. drove it but the other person who drove that car that season was Elio De Angelis. Uh-huh. And the reason I've chosen this part is it's got a few sort of you know, superlatives attached to it. One of them is it's the last Lotus competition car that won while Colin Chapman was still alive. Ground effect car. They'd gone back to basics. Right. Been getting a bit techy and a bit complicated and bending the rules, you know, taking them to the fullest extent they could, as Lotus yeah, Austin did. did yeah, and it hadn't yeah. been working out so well, so they sort of reined things in back to right. basics. The reason that I picked this car is because I remember being a kid. I'd have been sort of six, seven in 1982. And I remember just watching the Grand Prix on TV, or my dad watching it, and I was watching it along with him. And I was mesmerised by that car, above all others. It just looked so cool to me. And although Delivery, Nigel Mansell true. was British, Elio De Angelis, for me, was the first driver that I really rooted for because I couldn't believe that a man could be called Elio De Angelis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's yeah, the yeah. most exotic thing I'd ever Did heard. Did it race in the Essex like, uh, colours? Was it blue and red and white, the Essex colours? or was it? I wasn't paying attention, just looked at the JPS colours. Right, yeah. right. No, it wasn't Essex, was, it was JPS. It was, this was like your prime. Black and, black and gold. Prime yeah. black and gold. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it just Wonderful. looked like nothing else, and it looked so cool. And that is really why I've chosen it. I don't think it was an especially yeah, yeah. significant Well, that's part. a big part they of it. did win races. Yeah. Any JPS liveried Lotus is a fair contender. Correct. 
Yeah. 72 is kind of, you know... The apotheosis. Yeah, yeah. 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 But too obvious. I don't remember person, that. Yeah, we got, but you said you remember, you've got a yeah. personal connection to the 91. Yeah, so and that's, so I think that's sort of why, why I started watching Formula 1. It's probably down to yeah. that car. Oh, and to the, yeah. and to the late, there you go. The yeah. late That's a defining Genesis. moment in your car yeah. watching career. Second one, and it's hard... Again, I just did this on gut. Porsche 956. Because to me... Yeah. That looks like an endurance racing car should look. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Everything else since has been a bit rubbish, except maybe the 962. And the Jags. I would have gone with like an XJR9 or something, because oh, they look great. That's what but I said you choose when I tell him They look a bit, they are of the same sort of style. The 956 looks better. It's, and the 956 it's, it's, is also, de-, de facto, one of the most successful racing cars of all time. Yeah. Yep. Do you know what is one of the most successful it, racing cars of all time? It's kind of hard weirdly, to Which I could have picked, because I love them, but it's a bit left. Um, Sierra Cosworth. Really? Statistically, is this Sierra Cosworth really? won something like 75% of all races it took part well, in. Okay. They only had a, quite a short career. Yeah. The 956 had quite a long career for a racing yeah, I mean, cars. The, the, it evolved, like the 917. Because there's an interesting thing about how you sort of measure how successful a race car is. Is, yeah. it, is mm. it how many races has this model won? Mm. Is it what proportion of races did it win? Yeah. yeah. Well, um, surely and, and in that case, a, anything by Braun is the most successful racing car in the world. It won every it, world championship it entered. It, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah. there should be some equation that allows you yeah, to yeah. Yeah. an algorithm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that's, so again, that, it just to me that was, and again, it's sort of, sort of kind of childhood memory. But a nine five six in Rothman's livery, mm. I think all, a lot of great racing cars that live on in our imagination, in our hearts. About so livery, there's, there's a particular livery, livery that just, it resonates, yeah. and you could put that livery onto a, a toaster yeah. or a shoe, and you'd still go, "Oh, yeah. that reminds me of." Yeah. So, in the same, I suppose, golf colours on the nine one seven. Yeah forever a beautiful partnership but Rothman's livery on a 956 that to me is what an endurance racing car looks like because yeah. that is what I remember from my childhood group C cars yeah. particularly brutal the 956 yeah also another little superlative it still holds the lap record at the Nürburgring really nothing oh. I think has ever gone faster it's like 611 or something and someone no, did didn't no, they they no, broke no. it no the 919E the 919 that's the right Evo broke it it began yeah. to 511 impudent grandson stole yeah. the title but yes and, for, for many Years, yeah, 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 because that would have been on there. I love the RS200 for all sorts of reasons, but then I love the Peugeot 205 T16. Do I love the Delta really? S4 because uh, it was yeah, bonkers yeah. and it had yeah, a turbo yeah. and a supercharger. Yeah. Yeah, craziness. Yeah, yeah. But the Quattro. The Ur Quattro. And the short wheelbase Quattro. The Sport. Yes. Quattro Sport. Fantastic oh, car. Yeah. And they were all very successful, really, in their own ways. Yeah. And Actually, the one that wasn't successful is the one I've chosen, which is the Metro 6R4. Oh! Because <laughs> it was the one I rooted for when yeah. I was 10. Uh-huh, yeah. It's the one that I was cheering Stories. for when we, I made my parents. <laughs> okay. I begged them, could we go and see the rally? The RAC rally was going through Buxton, which is not far from where we lived. And they said, all right, fine. We were getting up at like 5 a.m. to go. I remember it in the back of my dad's Talbot Solara, freezing cold morning, it's winter, and we're driving down to Buxton across oh. the Peak District to go and see these cars come through at an early stop. Oh. I've still got the photos my dad took that day of those cars coming through, and they all look fantastic. But the Metro was kind of like the home team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that mattered. And also it had the home drivers, Malcolm Wilson, Tony Pond. They were, yeah. like, they were our guys. Mm. So those were the ones, even though the car never really found its footing, and because they'd made this brave decision, Decision to go non-turbo they thought it would pay dividends in other ways reliability being mainly the benefit they sort of highly strung turbocharged engines in their rivals didn't quite work out because it could never make the power but the other thing about the metro 6 off is when they banned group b it went on and had a second life in rallycross and it creamed everything in rallycross for many years afterwards so and, it mm. sort of had a second life and it wasn't a failure and richard yeah, wasn't the birmingham yeah, super pre wasn't there a six there was a six off support, support race, race just to get rid of the yeah. bloody things because they couldn't because yeah. they crash and <laughs> yeah they exactly. crashed let's they, give they, them they, a series yeah. of Random racing truck. And Richard, the appeal of taking something as mundane as domestic as the Metro and turning it into a supercar. Yes. That's a beautiful thing. That's a great halo thing to do for any road car. Yeah. Although I doubt it helped sell the Metro, but it no, did make you look was, at the Metro in a different way. It was ugly as sin. It was the very definition of fugly because it was, really? you know, it was all it was, yeah, Also, I, I was going to say, you know, I mean, you can't describe looking, how ridiculous looking. it looks. It's, but it's, 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 it's fantastic. I've, only, I've driven an RS200 on the road and yeah. it was amazing. It was an incredible experience. I've never driven a Metro 6R4 and I kind of do and I don't want to do that. But it did actually... It did actually make the Metro brand a little bit cooler, you know, apart from anything else. Yeah. It actually did that. 
and tiny yeah. little connection to sort of other parts of motorsport. It was developed by Williams. Oh, wow. Oh, very good. So, yeah. you know, it's yeah. all in there. Patrick Head was involved in yeah. it. And all yeah, Patrick Head. You know. yeah. Tom Walkinshaw involved in some way as well? Uh, well, no, but there is a Walkinshaw connection because that, that engine, engine became was adapted the, for the, the XJ20. XJ20. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Fantastic. Okay. Good choice. Who wants to guess... Okay, I'm going to have one guess. Yeah, one of these cars is. I mean, there could be a bunch here. I'm not even going to cheat and tell you the ones I'm skipping over. Mm-hmm. Lancia Stratos. Great idea, but no, I didn't. Okay. No, I didn't. Uh, that, that would have been a worthy I've, choice. I've had yeah. my guess. That's yeah. it. Lotus Cortina. No, but Ooh, again, nice. I can see where you justifiable. Go for that. See where you go there. No, okay. These are the cars I considered but chose not to choose. These are the ones that didn't make right. the cut. It didn't make is the there cut. An Aston Martin in there. There isn't an Aston Martin <laughs> there as well. No, my choice of cars I chose not to choose. It was a Lancia. The Delta, Delta Integrale. Integrale. I see. Yeah. That, that was my second. Yeah. That was my second. I decided not choice. to choose that. It was up there. As was the Williams Renault FW18. Really. Okay, because, because that's the car that uh, Damon, Damon Hill won his championship. Won his yeah, yeah. So it has an emotional yeah. resonance yeah. for me. It's, it's an Adrian story. Newey car, yeah. worthy yeah. of it. And the third one, which well, I really, 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 really nearly chose, but you'll see why I didn't in a minute when I tell you what I did choose, was the Nissan Delta Wing, ah. which was one of the right. most innovative yep. sports cars in history, in but, my opinion. But I think you would probably exclude it on a technicality that... It was just a prototype yeah. running for a yeah. demonstration. It wasn't actual. Well, it did compete. It the coupe version, but well, the coupe. No, the coupe version no. did compete in the American Le Mans series for three seasons. After that, with a Mazda engine, and came second or third did in its class. It did actually do very well, and it was regulated to meet the regulations. Okay, yeah, yeah, to meet yeah, the regulations yes, is what yeah. I'm trying to say. But yeah, it was a prototype. The one I was talking about, the non-coupe version, was a prototype. Garage Project yeah. 56. Loved it, but. My first actual choice, choices. actual choice, was the 1993-4 Ferrari, Ferrari. 333SP. Oh, ah. yeah. Mm. Open top sports yeah. prototype, which was built for yeah. World Sports Car Championship rules. And what I didn't realise, that this car, which ran in Momo colours, was actually built at the behest of Giampero Moretti, who is the man behind Momo, Mm. he actually asked Ferrari to build this car. And what I didn't realise was that Ferrari got Delara to develop the car for them, engineer the car. Even though it was a Ferrari, Delara had a big hand in it, as did Hewland, and it had an incredible record. IMSA GT Championship, 1995, Constructors' Champions there, and in 98, IMSA GT, 2001 FIA Sports Car Championship, Drivers' Championships, IMSA GT in 95, 98, it got the FIA Sports Car Championship again in 99, and 2000, 2001, all for drivers. I mean, a phenomenally successful car. That's not why I chose it. I chose it because of the livery. I love that car in the Momo colours. That is my favourite car livery ever. I don't know why it moves me. It Mm. moved me so much when I bought a race suit. I bought a yellow and red Momo race suit so I could pretend I was the driver of that car. It's a looker. You look at it in other liveries, it's really mundane. It's a very square, ordinary sports prototype. Paint it in the Momo colours... And you want to marry it. It's beautiful, isn't it? I want to marry it. It had a Ferrari V12 engine, the one that used to be in Mansell and Prost's car, I think, when they drove at Ferrari. But it was bored out to four litres. Imagine that. Imagine the sound. seen it run I would love to see it run that's my first choice a Ferrari 333 SP 
Second choice. choice What's it going to be? Any guesses? Any guesses? I've had my free guess. <laughs> okay, Lancia 037. Oh, excellent uh, choice. Another yeah, Lancia. I, 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 yeah. I, I just feel there has to be a Lancia in there because it's, there it's such a Lancia uh, nut. There aren't, I'm afraid. Uh, okay, all right. Well, that was my guess for number two. Um, and I'm kind of Jordan. Oh, well, Ooh, very good choice. 191, maybe. Yeah, yeah, okay. The, yeah. Yeah, well, that would yeah. be a good choice. How about. Yeah. The 2003 Subaru Impreza WRC. Ooh, what? Okay. Why has Gareth chosen this car? Well, because, again, livery. It's a great livery. Born out of the old 555 livery. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The mm-hmm. Subaru World Rally team carried this on, This you know the gold wheels. But what I like about this car, it's the living embodiment of win on Sunday, sell on Monday. Subaru meant very little in this country, but the kind of profile and penetration that they got from being rally cars was possibly at its zenith in 2003 when Peter Solberg won the World Championship in Wales with a Welsh co-driver, by the way. So it always had a little Welsh flag on the side of the car. Again, that emotional resonance thing drew me to it. But the main reason why I chose this car was that of all the race cars which have won world championships that we admire have raced, this is the only one I've been in. Uh-huh. I was driven on a stage by Petter Solberg in this car in the year that he was still the world champion, in 2004, this oh, was. I had a, so that gives me a personal connection to this car, which makes me admire it. I've watched the man's feet work while sitting next to him. I've watched his concentration, his eyes. You've had your head pinned against the side window as you yeah, sitting yeah. around the corner. You've slammed your head yeah. against the... And on the side of this car... It had the Norwegian flag for Petter Solberg and the Welsh flag for Phil Mills. I had a bit of masking tape over it with my name, Gareth Jones, written on it as though I was a driver or a co-driver of this car. That's why I chose this car. I discovered something interesting just researching this as well. Subaru. Did you know they were in Formula One? Do you know this? Mm, I did not. I had no idea. Um, They bought bought a controlling interest in the Colony team in the 1990 season. They do a flat 12. Exactly, yeah. Colony 3B's 12-cylinder engine was badged as a Subaru. Shared the Boxster layout, which Subaru have always favoured, but, in fact, it wasn't their engine at all. It was a Motori Moderni engine, really. But they thought, oh, we'll have a bit of that SP. Mm. Fascinating. Also, another factoid about Subaru I discovered. In 1974, Robert Edmonston, finance director at the sports car manufacturer Jensen Motors, when Jensen went bankrupt, he got £6,000 redundancy from it and set up International Motors which acquired the UK licence to import Subarus and Isuzu, and they are still the parent company of Subaru in the UK to this day. So there's a Jensen oh. connection. I had no idea That's about that. Fascinating. And how about this final Subaru factoid? I think they're still based as well. In, in Coase Hill. Uh, oh, are they now? Because I thought they were in, oh, for years, they were in West Bromwich, where in Brom. Jensen's were made. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, yeah of proper, course. Oh, yeah, yeah. But do you remember this ad line they used to use? Uncommon engineering, uncommon stability, uncommon road holding, uncommon sense. Subaru. Mm. So what is, of the three, this is possibly in order of my favourite at the moment, the 333 SB at number three, the Subaru Impreza WRC 2003 at number two, What's number one and why? <laughs> You've made good guesses. Shall I just tell you? Yeah, Andrea it's Moda. It's going to be two. Yeah, it's gonna, I'm, I'm not going to make myself look silly by getting this one wrong. The Tyrrell P34. Aha. The six-wheeled Formula One car of wow. 1976, 1977. It's got yeah. that bad livery as well. Oh, the elf oh, yeah, livery. Looks, yeah, yeah looks terrific. For Britain yeah. itself, it's elf. I remember the advertising. When I first saw that car, I remember wanting a radio control model of it immediately. And they did make one. Tamiya did one, but I think Mardave did one as well with an internal combustion engine a couple of years later. But the whole philosophy behind this car, Derek Gardner, who designed it for Tyrrell, worked out 
that the 1.5 meter front wing limit of Formula One in the middle 70s, late 70s, meant that Formula One tyres stuck out beyond the wing and gave you aerodynamic resistance that you could do without. So he said, if we have smaller wheels that tuck behind here, that would improve the aerodynamic efficiency. Then he worked out, well, if we have smaller wheels, we've only got half the contact patch. So the only way to improve that is to double the number of wheels at the front. A fundamental questioning of everything we know about cars Give it six wheels instead of four. And that's what I love about this. It questioned the basic mm. design of a car or layout of a car. And it almost worked. And it did almost work. And I believe yeah. that the people that are running those cars now in historic racing, you yeah. know, but, but basically because tyre technology is better, Martin you, you can make better use out of yeah. the, the, the You can get uh, yeah. better you know, The cars are doing relatively much better in kind of historic exactly. racing than they did at the time yeah. because at the time... Mm. At the time, the, make the you know, Goodyear were having trouble because the tyre uh, diameter was half that of a conventional Formula 1 or two-thirds of that of a conventional Formula 1 tyre. It was rotating much more quickly. It was putting too much heat into it. The tyres were delaminating. Mm. They couldn't build a tyre good enough for it. But you're right, Avon managed to to do that with modern technology and you're dead right Martin mm. Stratton's won historic races with the P34 now but like you're saying it worked it almost worked it worked well enough to win one Grand Prix and the the 1976 yeah, yeah. Swedish Grand Prix where these cars finished first and second Schechter won and Depayet came second by 1977 Depayet had gone and was replaced by um, who's the Swedish driver the tall one Ronnie Peterson mm. and they had to make the car bigger to accommodate Ronnie Peterson. Oh, really? They also decided to improve the front handling by increasing the width of the front axle, which negated the whole principle in the first place of hiding the wheel, so it became less efficient. And eventually they gave up on the six-wheel idea, but not before Williams, March, and Ferrari also investigated six-wheel cars. But the six-wheel car that Williams investigated was at the back. Correct. Doubling up the wheels at the back. Yeah, four at the back. Yeah, four at the back, two at the front, yeah. which is a whole different idea because yeah. that was about uh, you know dealing down. with the power, yeah, yeah getting yeah. the power down to the road rather than working on the front. Well, also, in fairness, around then, Williams were thinking about switching from F1 to wacky races, <laughs> which, which might have done them a lot of good. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. And, of course, Ferrari, do you remember Ferrari had a six-wheeled version of, I think it was a 312. It had, like, that double-axle thing, like the Auto Union Type C that you were talking about, where they had two wheels on the single axle at the back. Ferrari experimented with that as well. Did you know, I that? Don't know that? Yeah, yeah. yeah. What was it called? The um, the three twelve T six. T six. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. My three favourite cars: the Ferrari three 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 SP, the Subaru Impreza WRC two thousand and three, and the Tyrrell P thirty four six wheel Formula One car. That's it for a very very long episode of Gareth Jones on Speed. He's Zog. Goodbye. She's Sarah. Goodbye. He's Richard. Goodbye. I'm Gareth. And should we all go out and imagine driving those cars now? Yes. (laughs) That's your Mini, that is. (laughs) That's the Ford Escort, that is. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed!